us at welcome to no. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. You welcome what to is... you had us at hello. hello. Oh, Billy, it's been six oh, months. Oh God, it's just been yes, it's <laughs> absurd how long it takes to get one of these together. Um, we have no excuse, really. I don't know. I feel like I've. You've been very busy. No, I'm... Well, no, I mean, I think our excuse is that um, the summer. That's my excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Which always begins in February. (laughs) Why have we not done one since February? It's been, I think, since February. No. No. Oh, really? Oh, I miss... Okay, well, then... It's been a while. Well, then, I am really sorry, everybody. It's the longest summer. No, I feel like I'm going to... what Los Angeles does to a British woman. (laughs) Yes. It's all summertime. All year long. All year long. I was going to say, I'm going to... Well, anyway, maybe it was February. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I could be wrong, but I think when I wow. glanced February, at the Wow, well, you said six months. We like, So is that six yeah. months? I guess, it, yeah. I guess it is six months. Fuck. Anyway, okay. what a different six oh months makes, Lord. Billy. Everything has changed. Let me remind our, our viewership, readership... Listeners. Our listeners <laughs> that... Um, we were just bemoaning the fact that people kept throwing these The Romantic Comedy is Dead articles at us. Yes. We were being flogged yep. with irrational reports of the demise of our beloved genre. Yeah. And I just want to point out, as the old Hollywood hack, that, you know, same as it ever was, guys. It's like, as soon as it's dead, it's back. Well, also, like, I, I, we put basically, when me and Billy were like, what should we talk about? And usually we have to like figure out what's the one romantic comedy right, that has right. come out in in the however many like months we haven't like chatted. Sad. It's sad. Yeah. And this time, I mean, there's I can I'm going to list you shortly like ten to twelve romantic comedies that have come out in six months. Most and, of them by Netflix. Yeah, yeah and that every single every single article I sent you in preparation for this pod because we were like how like is basically saying everything we've been saying on Forever. our pod yes. for the last 107 years. Mm-hmm. I now feel like, I've always felt on the outside, like we've been like outsiders. We've mm-hmm. been like, everyone mm-hmm. stop telling us that the rom-com is either dead or alive or back right. or whatever. Right. And, and we're like, the, you know, in a good way, we're like the renegades saying yes. whatever. And yes. now I'm like, oh shit, everyone yeah. else caught up. Yeah, yeah, they've all <laughs> caught up with us, exactly. And so has the public. Um, 117 million oh. for Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Three so... weekends dropping hardly nary a like 11 percentage points it's nothing it's nothing people are just agog over the success of this movie and this is an industry which literally not just being facetious a year ago if you were going out with a romantic comedy people said oh well we're just not making them and let's just remind our listeners that billy is a story consultant at universal so he knows about this kind of shit um i I mean, I, we thought about just talking about all the movies that have come out, but I feel then we were both like, you know what? There's like reviewers to do that and critics to do that, and maybe we should just try and like break down some of the central thoughts and feelings about this new comeback, this latest yeah. comeback, and try and make some sense of it all for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like on Twitter, people have sent us five thousand articles about this, and it's and when I collated them all and sent them to you, I was like, I, I, we've been saying like this is we're just going to repeat ourselves if we just go through all of this. As are so, the articles, by the way, they're all saying the same. They're all saying thing. the same thing. Yeah. Um, but let's just talk about the rom-coms that have come out since we last podded, because I think it's important just to like for me to list them. You know, I love a list. Yes. 
Uh, and this is include this is box office, this is cinema, and this is Netflix as well. And I will have forgotten a ton because on Netflix there's five thousand. I'm not going to include all of them. Right. So we've got set it up. Mm-hmm. We've got crazy rich Asians. We've got to all the boys I've loved before. The kissing booth. Juliet naked. Destination wedding. Mamma Mia, because kind of is. Let's can oh, we? Yeah. yeah. No, it is. Overboard. Love Simon. Ibiza. Like Father is apparently a rom com too. The one yeah, that's on Netflix. Don't know it. Yeah. Um, there's a new one coming. That I'm excited about called Sierra Burgess is a loser. Yes. A title John Hughes would have loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then can we just talk about Book Club? I mean, Book Club was like a rom-com for the masses. And yeah. I adored that movie, and I will go to bat for that film, which I haven't said very often, have I? <laughs> so that is... When have I ever been able to list that many... I mean, even if we hadn't taken six months off, even if we'd taken three months off, I would have been able to list you all of those movies, yeah. which is ins- it's yeah, insane. Yeah. No, it is insane. Um, so the... I felt like we should break it down into kind of headlines um, to be analytical for, mm-hmm. the, for the start because why would we be anything other than analytical? And the headlines I kind of came up with, I emailed you, were the current state of the world, the star no power, diversity finally, the patriarchy, mm-hmm. uh, TV stole the genre, Netflix, and then Crazy Rich Asians. So that's kind of what we're going to cover. Okay. Um, I think first we want to talk about why now and development speak. I like that you said why now when you were emailing me because like yeah. in development speak, people are always asking writers, but why now? Why is this person doing this thing right now in this moment? Right. Um, it's a real kind yes. of, you know, like and they, the they don't really know what they mean by it either. Yeah. They just want you to have the answer. It's mm-hmm. the main thing. Mm-hmm. So why now is because I feel like everyone is depressed. That's certainly a big part of it, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if there's any, any one word that I would use for Crazy Rich Asians, it's escapist. Mm-hmm. I mean, what that it's just an example of a movie that takes you completely out of your reality, puts you in an entirely different sensibility, and even a way of looking at life. It's a throwback. In a yeah. Way. Uh, but we'll come back to Crazy Rich Asians. Um, all of them. Like, I've seen a number of the Netflix rom-coms, and they are colorful, bubbly, light, happy, uh, cheery, uh, just, you know, add your cliched adjectives. Everything about them is forget your troubles and, you know, come on, get happy. I mean, that's absolutely a big factor. And I I sent you this, that Richard Curtis article as well. Um, He had, he did an interview with a Channel 4 News in in England and um, he talked about the need for positive stories in the mm-hmm. world right now, mm-hmm. um, which obviously coming from him is, you know, entirely plausible. Him, Richard Curtis, wanting to put that out into the world. I get it. Um, and I, I do think that I was thinking about how I've been I'm 41 and I've, you know, been single for most of my 30s. And I've often felt like. Oh, I. That's the reason why I write romantic comedies because I, I, I know a lot of people that are in happy relationships. What the fuck do they write about? You know, like it's 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 a harder challenge anyway. Yes, sure. But I feel like what's happened in the last two years since the the disgusting president that we have, you have. Michelle, I'm just gonna say we. I live here. How can I yeah. pretend it's like, mm-hmm. like I think there are a lot of people who were seemingly just pootling along in their lives have suddenly kind of woken up to the fact that the world is is not actually that great for many, many people, you mm, know? Like, mm. I think a lot of very liberal people have had to step outside of their right. bubbles, and myself yeah. included, sure. to sort of recognise that mm-hmm. there is, there's a lot of terrible things happening. Because I think people can become obviously very blinkered and they just get on with their own lives. I've got my partner and my kids and my family and that's all I need. And, like, and I think that 
what we've been saying for ages is, you know, rom-com, that is what you want to see to recognise that there is some good in the world. People are, you know, you're sitting on a therapy couch at the moment. What the fuck are you supposed to do? So that's one big fact. Factor, excuse me. Another is the don't know what you've got till it's gone syndrome. Oh, because that's it's good, almost yeah. the day after the last death of the romantic comedy article <laughs> came out, I saw an article in some magazine. It was like, where are all the good romantic comedies? <laughs> I was like, uh, well, <clears throat> uh, you just killed them. They just left the room because they've got knives in their backs. So there is that scarcity issue. Right. Let me review for a moment. I think this is so key to the whole story of our genre. It's not that the romantic comedy ever died and was killed. What got, what got out of control and had to be put out of its misery was a very specific kind of formulaic romantic comedy. I call them the career girl gets alpha guy mm-hmm. movie. They were all starring either Katherine Heigl or J-Lo or whatever actress the studio wanted to plug into this formula. They were all the same, and they were all about... Sort of damsel in distress women, mm-hmm. usually in some kind of a livelihood where there was some kind of alpha male involved, whether it's a made in Manhattan where it's the patriarch of a family, or whether it's the office, some guy that, you know, is supposedly the, the hot guy that you, you lust after and can't have. But all of these movies followed the same, same, same formulaic idea of romantic comedy means career girl ultimately ending up with alpha guy and it helps either her career or she gets married or either way but it was that same story over and over again and it was such a small window of time well basically what it was codifying was a late 80s sensibility sort of a boom time sensibility Mm -hmm. that carried over into the 90s where there are a lot of good romantic comedies that were doing well so what i'm saying is that it was always a sort of a basic misunderstanding of perception and romantic comedies as we have been exhaustively pointing out in every podcast we've done (laughs) can be something like silver linings playbook which was not sold as a romantic comedy did not look like a romantic comedy and yet absolutely was because it was just a story about two very oddball people falling in love yeah that's a romantic that's that's a romantic comedy and and so (laughs) it's not that the romantic comedy died it's that it had to sort of go undercover to find its audience that had an audience that had gotten very jaded on these cookie cutter formulaic rom-coms that were all the same. But but isn't it interesting that that in the last six months there have been like the, the people's need out there in the world to see people falling in love now has suddenly intensified in a way, and that's not to say that people weren't always quietly watching them, but they were probably rewatching them, yes, you know, old and ones going, oh, going, and, sure, and yeah. now this sudden like. You know, it's not a coincidence that the world is a terrible place right now and that this right. is happening, Absolutely. you know, like 100%. Yes. And in and in line with what you're saying as well about the Catherine Heigl vehicles, I think what's really interesting now to segue into the next sort of headline is the star no power yes. factor of these mm-hmm. because none of these ones that have been big hits have got huge stars in them. We do not yeah. have a star Although vehicle. we've got this wonderful destination wedding coming up with <laughs> Winona, who've been married evidently for 25 years. Yes. I, you, you, whoever's listening, you probably know this, but for those who haven't, uh, they, Winona and, Ke- and um, Keanu Reeves starred together in Dracula, Coppola's Dracula, and they were married in the movie, in a scene of the movie, by a Romanian priest. And it suddenly occurred to them, 25, after, 25 years after the fact, that they were, in fact, legally married. <laughs> <laughs> now, and as I emoji, now that's a rom-com. Yes, so. absolutely, that's a rom-com. Well, so. they are 
Yeah, but interestingly, I, I think it came out just this weekend, actually, Destination not, yeah. Wedding. Oh, is not it even, not? Oh, yeah. I keep... It's... Okay, it's I, I'm confused Any about when now. it's... Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's about to drop. Um, I read one review for it, which was... was was not great, um, and it. Uh, I, but I don't care because, like, those are the two you want to see. These two, oh, like, God, yes, yeah. Sure. So that's an example. But but then Keanu Reeves is a whole. He's a whole industry in himself. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yes, so, he's a mini um, genre. He he is. <laughs> he genre. is exactly. So yes, your point is well taken. Most of them have when do not have names. Drunk, why don't you get drunk with me no more? Yeah, and then I guess, like, how good is it to not just see straight white people on screen? I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, one thing that's true of the Netflix, what I'm calling netcoms, yeah. is that they very willfully and clearly are going after diversity in their casting. And what's neat about it is it's not really playing into the storylines. It's not at it's there, all. Yeah. But, you know, it's just an acceptance of this. I was really struck by how yeah, when I particularly when I saw To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which I always want to call to All the Boys I've Loved Mandy Lane, which is cross pollinating two movies. Um I it was a real stark reminder that I hadn't you you're right. Then they don't put they don't hang a hat on it. This is not you know. I mean they're doing crazy rich Asians, obviously. Well, I think what we want to see is us. Exactly. Right? I and mean, we want to see the world that we live in on the screen. And that was one of the reasons why the older romantic comedy was so stultifying, is that the studios and the producers of such movies were not keeping abreast with the changes of the times. Why they do you, yeah? I mean, do you think they just it was just because they had all eyes on the money at that point, and that's as simple as. Well, I mean, obviously, an endemic yeah. racism, and <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, not to get into a whole thing of it, but yeah, they're just used to seeing what they're used to seeing. And, and so... one of the articles I sent you had that very interesting point to make about how the African American community have been making rom coms for a very long time, mm-hmm. and they always, and there's some fantastic ones as well, amongst amongst them all as well, and and that they have not been given the credit that or the box office success because obviously right. America is a racist country, but. Yes. So they're always surprised. Um, they're always surprised. surprised. Oh, yeah. Surprising performance. Yes, yeah. from like, you know, yeah. like, and, but they are, but I suppose the cross-pollination of stuff is really interesting. Like in, in To All the Boys I've Loved Before, you know, it's a it's an Asian, uh, you know. Well, it's a rainbow, though. It's, yeah. Ultimately. Exactly. Yeah. And, but they don't address it. You know, he, John Corbett is the dad who, you yeah. know... But it was really, like, interesting watching him, realising, like, being conscious of it in a way that was ob- unconscious, if you know what I mean. I was like, oh! But then I started to compare it to kind of sort of John Hughes' sort of movies, because mm-hmm. obviously recently he's come up for some criticism. Well, not, I wouldn't say criticism. Did you read the Molly Ringwald article that she wrote? Mm, yeah. Um and I thought it was a really amazing piece of writing, basically saying, I still love these movies, it's okay to love them, but here's how to like, also recognise that there were some major issues in them. Yeah. 
And actually, into all the boys I've loved before, there's a there's a scene where they are watching Sixteen Candles, uh, and um, the, the hot dog guy says, "Oh, isn't this a bit like racist when uh, they have a long dog dong?" And I have to confess, I haven't finished watching. It, don't so worry, I, don't worry. We're yeah. not here to talk about them per se, mm-hmm. but it, it's but it's interesting that they're acknowledging it. But it's mm-hmm. but she but it's still the girl's favorite film. Sure. And I think that what happened with John Hughes movies is that like they. His presence is actually felt in a lot of these Netflix ones, mm-hmm. particularly the coming of age, obviously. Oh, totally. He is the ones. godfather of these movies, yeah. for sure, whether he's acknowledged or not. Yeah. There, yeah. But they are giving the female characters more, more agency, agency, more autonomy. And yes. Yeah. Of course. It's funny because I grew up with those John Hughes movies and I loved them and I have posters on them on my wall. And, and every now and then I have to remind myself they also did provide me with a template for relationships that was not always the healthiest not the most accurate yes yeah i think pretty in pink gets the closest because i think it's a father-daughter movie as well as a Mm. you know um romance but apparently there was another version of that where she does end up with ducky which i would love to see wow yeah but my theory on that is that andy and ducky would totally meet a reunion 20 years later and get together Hmm. Pretty in pink too. There's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So right. So diversity is a big a big factor, but w- which to me goes hand in hand with just embracing the values that what are people facing at the moment in terms of what kinds of relationships are people forging? Mm. They are not relationships that are all going to end in marriage. No. I mean, which used to be the absolute <laughs> go-to for romantic comedy. They're not relationships that are even necessarily more than casual. So right. to speak. Yeah. I mean, there's all manner of them, just as there are all manner of people involved. There's no longer this one size fits all idea of what what a story about a couple can be. Well, that really that obviously speaks to me as someone who is not in in a traditional setup of of a relationship. And I, but like, but also like the fluid the fluidity of these things is really interesting. There, like with something like Love Simon, you know it. I haven't actually seen it and I will watch it. I know I was supposed to watch it. And, but I feel like, again, it's like we would, it, it's not a thing, but it is a thing. And that's what's important about those kind of movies. You know, we're not saying this is a gay movie. You know what I mean? Right, we're saying this right. is a story about a, ma- a, young, a young boy and who he falls in love with. You yes. know what I mean? Right. And in Love, Simon, which I saw, so we were tr- between the two of us, we've, we've, we've covered it. It's a lovely film. And it is an issue in that movie, but it's dealt with in a very even-handed, like, it's not like he has the plague. This is just a reality of who this person is. Right. And yes, there are some people who won't embrace it, but the, kind of the great reversal of that movie is how many people are on board right. with, with who he is and what he's about, which is refreshing and, again, accurate. Meaning yes. that is the world we're living in now. Yeah. People are not going to, you know, fall over and faint, you know, when they find out that someone is gay. It's just, that's, it's like, you don't necessarily want to just be eating a ham and cheese sandwich every night. No. You know, there's like, (laughs) there are. Ham and cheese sandwich. Well, I'm just saying, there's like, people are actually responding to the diversity, meaning there's more interest involved. And I think one of the reasons to segue right to Crazy Rich Asians is that, meaning it's a culture. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole way of looking at things with fresh faces. Fresh faces. Fresh faces. Fresh faces. Fresh faces. They've all got the fresh, fresh faces. Fresh <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a way of looking at that culture and looking at uh, unfamiliar faces and some familiar ones that you're seeing in a new light. And I think audiences are hungry for that. Um, I think as well, like, 
I want the author of it, Kevin Kwan, said that, which I was pleased he said as well, is that he said I he also wants inclusive storytelling in terms of underserved voices who aren't necessarily crazy rich, crazy rich or Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's so specific, that movie, you know, it's such a specific world. And we've seen the white version of that so many times, you know, the straight white version of that a million times. I mean, it's a Cinderella 100% story. Um, well, one of the reasons it works so well is that it does embrace the almost the old-fashioned paradigm. Because the original screwball couples were always uh, a man and a woman who were rebelling against a very codified society. Right. Everything was really set in a certain way. And this movie does exactly that thing. Yeah. The whole movie runs on the idea that she's wrong for this this situation. And yeah, my, my one note is that I needed slightly more chemistry from the... Yeah. Just, just, well, just, just, just 10% more chem. And I could have used some more laughs. I mean, to me, that, it's more, it's more 10% of a dramedy. Chem, 10% than, com extra. Yeah, yeah because yeah. It's, it's very funny. They're wonderful... Funny gags, yeah. But it gets so hung up in the angst of it all in the second half of the movie that it starts to veer more into almost melodrama. I um, came. I would have liked. I would now like to see Aquafina be the lead in the rom Oh rom-com. God, yes. But but again, look at what happens when you have what we've been missing, right? Because that's what's interesting. You couldn't write an American romantic comedy about Americans where this, unless it again was zero point one percent person with someone who's really poor. Most of the middle has gotten, you know, to the point where you don't have that drama of rebelling against this tight society. Yes, yes. And Crazy Rich Asians kind of brings that back on steroids, and thus you've got a couple, chemistry or not, that you're rooting for because they're going against the, in that case, patriarchy, matriarchy, the old old rule. It's exactly that, isn't it? It's exactly the realisation of, like, oh, this is a tale as old as time. But it's in a time I don't know, and it's told in a way that I have not seen before, you know. Like. And by the way, I would say one difference between Crazy Rich Asians and the Netcoms that we've been talking about is the Netflix romantic comedies are not about glamour, and they're not about a certain kind of promotion of a lifestyle, which was had also become kind of the mode of common romantic comedy in the 80s into the 90s, where what, when you went to a romantic comedy, you were going to see the glittering life of, well, Nancy Meyer's great home improvements. Oh, but they're so nice, those houses. Yes, but I'm just saying, <laughs> that's what people would think of as a romantic comedy. So what you're getting in Crazy Rich Asians is almost the return of that kind yeah. of, for the big screen. It's this glamour, glamour, you know, the good life, writ large. And again... When you haven't seen that for a while, and now you're seeing it with an Asian cast, and you've got a, re- a couple rebelling against a norm that we haven't even had here for years, I think there's something very compelling about yeah. it as a package. The one thing maybe that I'm curious about, and I'm sure many people in the industry are asking the same question, is what comes next? Meaning, can you, how do you, is this lightning in a bottle, or... Can we now see these Asian-American actors and actresses in movies with Caucasian co-stars or whatever, in whatever shape, way, shape, or form? Is it something that we can now accept and begin to really revel in? I mean, I fucking hope so. I do too, yeah. Because what we don't want to do is start to have another template type of movie because then people won't go and see them again because they'll be like, oh, no, that's just that again. Or, oh, now they've... You know what I mean? And then there'll yeah. be articles saying, 
that the Asian American romantic comedy is dead. Right, it's you know? dead. No, but you mentioned Aquafina, and that to me is kind of the key. Meaning, you get breakout stars from a movie like this who can then. I mean, she'll have her train wreck. Yeah, and, which and was the le- the last. So this was this is Crazy Rich Asians is um, has beaten since, them. Yeah, since yeah. Trainwreck. Yeah, yeah. 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 And train. You know, you think about Trainwreck and. I'd forgotten what a huge hit it was. It was only yeah. when I read the article saying, oh, it's, you know, beaten train wreck, I was suddenly like, oh, I'd forgotten. But again, sh- that was a start. That's That that was a throwback to a high girl-esque kind of thing on some levels in terms of a big star, star. in a workplace, yes. aspirational right. movie. But because Amy Schumer is so funny, it elevated it. You know, yeah. like, not you know, Heigl does, certainly doesn't have Schumer's comedy chops. Um, sorry, Heigl, I feel like she knows that. I feel like she's, yeah. she's at peace with that. Yeah. <laughs> about the patriarchy as well, Billy. Oh, um, Because I think that, that we can't really ignore that as well. Um, and I sent... Did you read that Vox article? I, mean, I sent you a lot of articles. But there's a Vox article that... that long with the round table? Yeah, and I thought it was a... Like, it basically was like reading a conversation between me and you anyway. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed... I wanted to just read two of the things that, that popped out at me from there to do with the patriarchy that I think really inform the conversation... Um, it was she basically Constant Grady was talking about any defense has begun with the idea that it can be enjoyable and worthwhile to watch two attractive people trade banter and eventually fall in love and there's nothing wrong with that which is something mm-hmm. we've talked about mm-hmm. and that basic plot template is not inherently less valuable this is the big bit than the one about the sad mean man who is really good at something and so has no excuse but to be terrible to the people around him the right. one about the people who fight in a war and are very brave <laughs> you know and the fact that we treat rom-coms as frothy nonsense for dumb people stems from the fact that romantic comedies are generally marketed to women whom our culture does not like not from the genre's inherent value right. and then they also talk about this is like spoke to me in a way that I almost applauded the mainstreaming of geek culture has gradually granted legitimacy to all the other heavily troped based genres so comics fantasy, sci-fi, video game, horror, because they appeal to men. Mm -hmm. And male nerds have been in the ascendance. So yet, trope hobby genres dominated by women, which are mainly romance and rom-coms, erotic romance, and young adults have continued to struggle to gain any kind of cultural legitimacy. Mm. And like those... So what I would say is that Netflix hasn't saved the rom-com necessarily, but women might have. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Because it... We've all had a version of a, a waking up the last few years in terms of, you know, the, the patriarchy versus the matriarchy. Mm-hmm. And it was only when I read that crystallised in that way that I was like, oh, I've been defending them because of, like, you know, genre, but actually I've been defending a version of sexism that I hadn't really kind of thought about, you well, know. Well, this has long been the cry of literature, you know. Uh, I think it was Meg Wallitzer, or no, it was uh, Jennifer... Uh, Weiner or Weiner who took on the patriarchy in uh, literary fiction saying why is my book about a woman and her domestic travails any less interesting than let's say Updike middle-aged yeah. white man talking yeah. about his issues yeah well that's what Elizabeth Gilbert said about she won a national book award when she wrote Stern Men which was about a male crisis yeah. right. uh and then when she wrote Eat Pray Love which was a, a book about a woman's existential crisis it got put in the chick lit 
you yeah. know, box yeah. and dismissed. Yeah. I mean, it did pretty well, so I'm not worried about that. So, right, the same, ba- the same bias uh, definitely has lived on in uh, the industry throughout. And by the way, uh, something I think you noted, which I agree with, is a lot of women in the creative teams. Of so teams. many, yeah. I mean, directed you, by and written by. You've got directed by, you've got written by. Um, you've got, I mean, set it up as both a female writer and director mm-hmm. um, to all the boys I've loved before. Um, and I think Crazy Rich Asians is co-written by a little woman, Adele mm-hmm. Lim. So, yeah, I mean, and, and it's funny because women have not only managed to rehabilitate it, they've done it very stealthily, I think, through television as well, mm-hmm. you know? So you've got... Sharon Horgan and Mindy Kaling and these people uh, creating actually like a, a, a rom-com structure for us all on TV um, and bringing it back. It kind of gives you this vision of there being a subculture or almost like a shadow culture, yeah. at least in America, right? Because <laughs> yeah. when romantic comedy left the big screen, it went to the little, little screen. And for a while, as you and I discussed, it was all there, whether it was the Mindy Project, Catastrophe, all of these, The New Girl, all of these shows that were essentially serial rom- rom-coms. Yeah. And so that's where it thrived. Netflix, no dummy, looked at that, saw the demographics. Well, they said that they had... It's an algorithm, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which to me... Like, when I first got told, I remember talking to someone at Netflix about algorithms and it making me want to just cry with, like, pain and just... You know, I was like, oh, God. But then they point, you know, like, over 80 million people... Netflix subscribers. Two-thirds of their audience. Yeah, specifically watched love stories. Yeah. So they were responding to... And I think it's actually really like a nice parallel that they were basically responding to a chemistry. And to your point, they're answering to women, meaning it was women who were the audience for the theatrical romantic comedies. It was women who were the sizable audience for the TV show romantic comedies. And so Netflix, once again, listening to the women. Yeah, and do you think as well, because... But one thing I would also argue, I mean, I'm very glad that TV stealthily brought it back and that women did as well. Um, But I'm also, I wonder, for me, I've always felt that ultimately the rom-com form is is kind of better suited to a film. So I think I've said this many times about, you know, a a one-night stand versus a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong, like, Friends was, you know, the very, like, basis of that show was Ross and Rachel, but it wasn't just that. And if Mm -hmm. it had just been Ross and Rachel for 10 series, whatever it was, we would have all checked out a long time ago. I mean, maybe not, actually. I probably would have still watched it. But I do think that I'm pleased that the film structure of a rom-com is coming back Mm -hmm. um, because... I love that everyone's been saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the TVs, where's the rom-com? It's like, yeah, but it, to me, the very basis of it is that you meet someone and then and then you fall in love and then you get together and then you don't know what happens next because the film ends is kind of like what I, I really love seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you can run out of steam in a TV show often. I think that's why the genius of Catastrophe yes. is it's only sure. six episodes. So right. each one feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. Each series feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, for one, am... I'm grateful for TV for being under the radar doing it. Oh, we're actually watching a romantic comedy. But I'm pleased that people are like, no, I just want to watch an hour and a half of, of two people doing their thing. Yeah. Um, so the, the good news is that the Netflix phenomenon is going to wake up the studios to the audience that is there. But, and, but are they going to... I mean, this is, like the, this is like the central issue, isn't it? Because Crazy Rich Asians clearly did very well for all the reasons that we have listed uh, and everyone else has listed. And then you've got the Netflix rom-com that people are already using in a derivative like, right, you know, sure. fashion. Yeah. Um, 
and I think I've said this before, we, knowing what we know, sitting here now, if Man Up was coming out, uh, I would be entirely happy with it coming out on Netflix and not having a cinematic release. Mm. Um, mm. When it came out, we, you know, we did so well eventually on Netflix, but mm. our box office theatrical stuff was, was not great. Yeah. Um, and it really made us feel like, oh, we've done all this work and then we can't get people to go to the cinema. So now I'm watching this revival of, you know, we had such a good time on Netflix and we, you know, we were one of the most watched at one point. Mm. Um, and actually, they should put it back on. Netflix, put it back on. Um, man up. Um, but that said, um, I still... I, so I feel like... I, but I don't want the Netflix rom-com to become like the like, the oh, thing. it's the, the thing. Yeah. Well, but that's why it's good that it's a double-barreled attack. You know, when you've got Crazy Rich Asians making the kind of money that it's making and you have the Netflix going on, I think that those are the kinds of, you know, signals that the industry responds to. Your brain when we keeps me awake at night is 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 that challenge as a as a rom-com writers to to be figuring out what kind of movie am i like because if someone came to me now and said i've written a rom-com and it's great and it was a great pitch and you know i i don't know how i would advise people anymore because i get told now like i went in to see netflix the other week and had a great meeting with them about rom-coms and pitched them a few ideas and you know the but but I'm someone who is a reason, you know, I've had a film made, so I'm in a better position than most. But I don't really know what I would advise someone now mm. in terms of have you got because the, the Netflix model is these kind of either 25 million plus that they're trying to make, which are these right. big, more star led ones that they're trying to get into, or mm. they are the, you know, the like 10 to whatever million, or they like absolutely like hardly anything at all. Right. And yeah, I guess like I don't really have like a proper question about it. I'm more confused about. Which the the myriad of ways that yeah. a movie could go now, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think it's a much better problem to have. It is, but it feels weird, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I'm worried that people are just gonna that there's going to be a regression, and <laughs> <laughs> and that we're just gonna people are just gonna be like, oh, bish bash bosh, here's a rom com, you know, and like, yeah. but I mean, maybe that's inevitable yeah it's ne- well again i think it's just that the genre is evolving to a point where it's just not going to look the same ultimately yeah because one of the things about one thing one criticism i have of the netcoms is mm-hmm. even though they are diversified and forward-looking and much more current in their sensibility there is a kind of a creeping formulaic nature to what they're doing i right? know and and you kind of feel like they're already sort of repeating themselves there are the certain staples of the genre you know the sensitive jock character there's the missing mom which shows oh, up yeah. in so many of these movies yeah uh things like that that are just kind of uh but is that this is again it's like it's, it's fascinating to me because sometimes i'm like is that is that okay because like are we arguing against ourselves in terms of you know, for ages we're like thrillers do their thing, horrors do their thing. You know, and 
it's a shit show out there and to actually make a good movie is also alchemy on some levels. Oh, for sure. You know? Oh, don't um, get me started. Yeah. And all it takes is like a certain director or, or a star or some gap in the market or, you know, like it's a very, like it's not as simple as like 80, I mean, it is, it is, when I read like 80 million people have watched Love Stories and I'm like, but have they watched the same one over and over again? And are they going to turn off after half an hour? Because like, oh, I'm bored of this one and not commit to... You know what I mean? Like, it's right. so... Right. Like, I mean, I sound like I'm really worried about it. And I guess I sort of am because I don't know what my place is anymore on some mm. levels with it. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that I, like, think that I'm better than, you know, anything in that sense. It's more like, fuck, I don't know what kind of rom-com I want, I want to write anymore. Let alone what I'd advise a, new, a newer writer, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting question, but isn't the best idea just to go for what you want to do? Meaning, I think the originality is the thing. Yeah, that I is mean, going to make the difference. But, but obviously, like I'm also struck by the fact that I think, oh, I've got to. I'm a white, white straight woman, so I'm part of the problem, you know, on right. some levels. So, but I don't want to just. I don't. I'm not going to write a diverse movie for the sake of it because I don't. You know what I mean? Like that would mm-hmm. not be like a good thing to do I need to continue to find the stories I want to tell and and those stories happen to be white straight single women stories because that's where I am at in my life yeah, you know for the moment for them for the moment <laughs> but I'm always looking I mean I'm doing a project um at the moment that is an older it's you know it's it's more adult so to speak um and um and I'm trying to just write more about like age differences and things like that. Well, but, there you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm answering. Basically, this is therapy for me. I'm answering my own questions mm-hmm. via you, because I don't want to become the grumpy the grumpy rom com writer. Okay, so like <laughs> when people like send me things like, look at this, Juliet naked. Look at this, da da da, and I'm like. Yeah, okay, great, great, brilliant. Like, but, but is it interesting? Is it is it unique? Is it just single white people moaning about their lives? You know, like, right. like what, what is it? Like, let it speak to me. I mean, my, I, I haven't watched all the ones that I've listed, but by far my favourite was To All The Boys I've Loved Before. I think that it is sweet and charming, and I think that acting, you know, it's simple. It, it's, it's not breaking any moulds. It's not saying whatever, mm-hmm. but, but what it is is it comes from a very honest place. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's our old favourite, you know, the fake relationship, yes. the, the big lie romantic comedy, right. which I'm obviously a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's taking, you know, it's taking a culturally diverse world, but putting a very, you know, time memorial concept on top of it. Yeah. But what I don't want to see is people shoe- shoehorning those things in, you know, it has to come from an honest place from the beginning. Again, that was a book as well, a young adult book. So I don't know, like... I'm basically having a meltdown about it, Billy, um, alive on this pod. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you look marvellous, as Billy Crystal used to say. Yeah. yeah, but it is complicated. It's complicated, but I think that... Another said, great romantic comedy. Another great one. But it, I think that does show, though, that it it's the challenge of finding your own personal voice in this has been proven now to be the secret weapon. Yeah. Because whether they're more formulaic or less whether they're very diversified or less. These are all stories that are written in response to a need to have a romance on the screen that is somehow personal to some issue for the writer. Personal and universal. The, yeah, the well, key, the, 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 of course. the double whammy of all the, yeah. the best rom-coms. Yeah. In other words, this isn't, let's take this role model of a story, let's take this ancient paradigm and just keep shoving people in it. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's unique, distinctive people 
writing their versions of a love story and putting their own spin on it. And that, to me, is the best thing possible for the genre. I mean, I do feel a bit better now. I mean, that's calmed me down somewhat. Well, even, even the issue that you brought up, you know, whether it's like, uh, yeah, it's the older woman or whatever. I mean, the, the great older woman rom-com has not, for this decade, has yet to be written. Well, that's the other thing. It's, again, patriarchy stuff, you know, that we have watched these people on the screen. We have watched these May to December relationships. I mean, you know, they, they come close, obviously, and something's got to give with Diane Keaton and, and Keanu Reeves. But essentially, she does want to be with Jack Nicholson. Um, right. and, and that's fine, by the way. I think that movie is a very underrated romantic comedy. But um, I... Yeah, I mean, I, but I think you, the other thing that I always go back to for anyone who wants to write one is that live your life, you know? Yes. Like, because like even if you are happily married to someone, like, examine that, you know? Uh, take a what-if out of that equation. Sure. Um I think there's one that came out. It, sounded, it didn't actually sound great, but there was one called Permission that came out maybe six months ago, um, which was to do with a, a couple who are about to be married who decide to give each other permission to sleep with someone else just before they... Oh, that's uh, what um, they it call was, it, was, Rumspringer in the oh, English right. country, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Rumspringer. Yes. So, but again, that to me makes sense as a married person. I'm not married, so but that to me, is, if I was, makes sense as like the what-if of it. Sure. Um... And I think it's exciting to move away from the bromances into the, the the more complicated friendships and relationships between straight and bi and gay and trans and, you know, every, all the other things that everyone can possibly be. I think that mm. is interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I love writing about female friendship at the moment because I think that that is an interesting kind of a, a deeper world to investigate in, in the light of the last year or so. Well, and again, female friendship at, a, at an older age, because a lot of female friendship stuff in these teen rom-coms, mm. not so many in terms of... Yeah, I'd like to see um, a modern Muriel's wedding, you yeah, know? I, that would be great. I would like to see something that is... So anyone who's got something like that, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that... I think it's like you say, it's finding your place and your voice if you want to work in this genre, Um you have to. We just have to work really much harder, which is good, and we, we should have to do right, that. Right, but at least the door is finally ajar. I know. You know? I so. mean, I think back to like, you know, the big sick. When, mm-hmm. Like when we went to see that, whenever it was last summer, when it I think it came out, or, or the autumn, and and I think how that really did. That was the beginning. I feel that a really mm. big shift in things. Mm. That mm-hmm. it it was a diverse story. But, but told in a very, you know, excellent, formulaic way. That found a mainstream audience. That found a yeah. mainstream audience, sure. you know. Um, and I think it probably did pretty decently at the box office oh, in yeah. terms of, you know. So, you know, I think when you, if we can trace this from when this started, I feel like that was the big sick probably kicked some stuff off, hopefully. Right. Um, and now we've got Crazy Me Jasons, so, which has really kicked things off. Yes, and I'm thinking of all the... I'm just imagining all the screenwriters out there who, like you and I, with the rom-com theme, like a movie like Saving Face. Oh, which the Which was a, an Asian lesbian romantic oh. comedy. Oh, I don't remember that. And that was 15 years ago. What about The Wedding Banquet oh, as well? Oh, another, yeah. So, I mean, a gay Asian... I mean, that's yeah. a great movie as so, well. But, but, you know, those people are sitting at home now going, yeah, thanks a lot. You know, I but, know. But so... I'm... Yeah, I mean, I feel... I obviously feel excited 
Um, I think that critics are now going to have to reassess how they assess these movies. Well, hopefully. It's interesting. Something like The Kissing Booth, which was, I think, Netflix's... I haven't seen, I haven't seen it. I haven't watched it yet. We, we have a policy here. Yeah, on, we, we have uh, a Craig Mazin policy. You had us at Hello, where we do not speak ill of okay. movies. We, we, we just talk about films that we like. But I must say, out of this whole crop, <laughs> The Kissing Booth, I understand why it works. And it did. It worked on me. But it, after about the ninth or tenth hour of it, I started to... <laughs> but anyway, yes. Well, I thought it was interesting that that's been Netflix's one of their biggest successes mm-hmm. and it, but it only got 13% on Rotten Tomatoes yes now what does that mean well this is again this is so the people's obsession with Rotten Tomatoes by the way like everyone I know in the industry is obsessed obsessive about it and I get it I man up was certified fresh I've got my lovely little trophy and I love it but also, I mean, who gives a shit? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like so many of these movies. Like, I remember, um, what did I see? Oh, see, I love The Spy Who Dumped Me. Can I just, like, put that out there? <laughs> Had a great time watching The Spy Who Dumped I Me. I am a secret fan for my uh, my ex-girlfriend is a super, what was it? Oh, with, the, with, with Uma Thurman. Yeah. Um, and my, what is that one? My ex-girlfriend is yeah. a, a superhero. No, yeah. or something like that. I yeah. can't remember what and it is. And I loved it. And yeah. people thought I'd lost my mind. So. Well, I, I, for the first few days when I saw the reviews for Spy Dump Me, I was, and actually um, David Ison and, and Susanna, they, we chatted on Twitter and they would love to come on and I'd love to get them on because I think they would have a lot to talk to us about in terms mm. of that movie. Um, it's basically a romantic comedy between two women, you know, like, mm. in ter- I mean, not really. It's, like, it's, it's That's a push, just like when I said Phantom Thread is also a romantic comedy. But, you know, I would always try and push for these things. Uh. But the Rotten Tomatoes effect of that is that, you know, I looked at One Tomatoes and was like, oh, it oh, hasn't got great reviews. Oh, maybe I won't. And I, I why am I, why yeah, me? Why Someone do you who, care? why do yeah. I care? So yeah. I went to the cinema and I really enjoyed it and I tweeted about it. So I was like, this is a fun, great movie right. that is very entertaining. And again, I blame the patriarchy for it not doing super well because I think if it had been Jason Statham yeah. or The Rock doing yeah. that, people would have gone to see it. But because it's ladies being spies who get right. dumped. Right. Meanwhile, I'm stuck in a mind parenthetical where I'm trying to work out. How to say you say tomato, but I just <laughs> I haven't quite found it yet. But I think the law, like you think, so Kissing Booth is this massive hit for Netflix. Does terribly like so maybe that we're just going to have to accept that that is until critics can actually find a way to write about romantic comedies without sounding like they've got something shoved up their fucking ass about. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but I, how do you really feel? Well, the, well yeah, exactly. Well, the one that, that, that Guardian article I sent you, which has had, um, the, I've watched 11 Netflix movies for you. Oh, and yes. it was, so it was, I was just like, yeah. but also her tone in it was yeah. so like, sneery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, hang on a minute. Like, oh. so until people who write about romantic comedies can, can figure out how to talk about them in the way that they talk about every other genre of film. Mm-hmm. We might just have to accept that there is a discrepancy between reviews and what people actually like. <laughs> if only you were more articulate about expressing your feelings. I, I just, it's, just, it's so disappointing to have to I deal know. with your, your anyway, attention. Anyway, I mean, have we covered... I mean... I don't know that there's anything to add to what you just said. I I was trying to like find a way to wrap it up in an aggressive fashion. I feel that I definitely succeeded on some levels there. No, I think it'll get easier to defend. Oh, well, maybe we don't need to do this podcast anymore. No, well, <laughs> hopefully we'll have more great <laughs> movies to talk about. Wouldn't yes. that be wonderful? And I'd also, I think we'll get some, I think that it does feel weirdly like we have come, like 
full circle. I mean, we yeah. will definitely find other things to talk about, and we always will. <laughs> but I do think it's really interesting that this is what pods eight, I think, and we have. We're, we're basically saying the same things we've been saying for the last eight, but now everybody's saying them. So it's us, Billy. Yeah. It's us. Yeah. Well, the so 30,000 people that listen to us. Right. We're the early adopters. Yeah. And we're way ahead of the herd. And we're the so progressives. We're the progressives. And so <laughs> my version of your emotional freakout is now my only problem with all of this is the challenge because, fingers are crossed, I may get a shot at writing, writing the romantic comedy, the... <gasps> 20th anniversary edition, oh which God. will be revised and expanded. Oh, my God. And so I'm going to have to some, somehow come up with answers to your very question, which is, what does the contemporary romantic comedy writer are you, do? Is, are you, like, close to get... Is that, like, going to happen? Because that's really exciting. I'm just Let's knocking touch. on wood and crossing fingers, and my agent has talked to HarperCollins, and they seem interested, and so I should know pretty soon. Like, we are having the biggest book launch party if that happens <laughs> we definitely will do something because yeah. that's what that's what i mean like i feel like it like if you can if you can condense all of this for people and, and help people you know because I mean? your book helped me write my movie you know and it gave me like a roadmap that i had was looking for and i do think people are we we need another one we like we've reached maybe like a little turn in the road and we need writing romantic comedy well, revised. the best part of this is that of course in my secret plan the expanded and revised 20th anniversary edition of Writing Romantic Comedy will feature an interview with a screenwriter. <laughs> Tess Morris, perhaps. I will. You know what? I, did, I mean, call my agent first, obviously, but yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll see if we can arrange it. <laughs> well, we covered a lot. That was You Had Us At. Hello! Hello! Goodbye. <laughs>